Going de novo. What's it like to start a new bank anyway? Is it banker in one corner and regulator in the other? Or has it changed into something that approaches the collaborative? Indeed, things have changed, and to share the latest based on their journey, we have Rob Farr and Aaron Tecker of Michigan-based My Bank. Welcome to BAI Banking Strategies, where each week we'll focus on the key issues facing financial services leaders. We'll bring you objective opinions and actionable insights that will help you power smart decisions. I'm your host, Lou Carloso, the managing editor at BAI. Come on in. Thanks for tuning into the podcast, and fantastic to have you here with us. And today we have a double treat. We have Rob Farr and Aaron Tecker. Rob Farr is chairman and CEO of MyBank. Mr. Farr was founder, president, and chief executive officer of Birmingham Bloomfield Bank Shares, Bank of Birmingham from the time it opened in 2006 to the time it was acquired by Bank of Ann Arbor in 2017. Aaron Tecker is Senior Vice President Core Technology for My Bank. Throughout her career in operations and IT for banks and credit unions, Ms. Tecker has accrued extensive experience in system implementations, conversions, mergers, and vendor relations. Rob and Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Lou. We're happy to be here. Okay, let's kick this off by telling our listeners a little bit about my bank, the first de novo bank to open in Michigan in a decade. Let's hear a little bit about the decision to launch and the organization as it stands right now. Yes, Lou, we're getting close within, I think, a couple weeks to open our doors. So very exciting time for us. And we're actually the first in the Midwest. So that makes it extra exciting in the last 10 years. The whole process started about two years ago after Bank of Birmingham was acquired by Bank of Ann Arbor. I attended an outreach session in Chicago that the FDIC put on, and that's when I became aware of the fact that the regulators definitely want new banks and are encouraging the formation of new banks. So I started to go down that path. And two years later, here we are getting ready to open. So very exciting. Obviously, a lot happened between June of 2017 and today, including going through the regulatory approval process and raising the amount of capital that we earmarked to open the bank, which we are happy that we were oversubscribed and have raised $30 million to capitalize the new bank. Our focus is really going to be on businesses and the people that run them. And that's where we think the biggest opportunity in our market is. So you mentioned this encouragement from regulators and the de novo bank process is nothing like the process elsewhere in the financial services world. What was that like to get the full approval to launch? I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. So the process really is, if anything, it's better than it was when I did it the first time in 2006. Bank of Birmingham was one of 150 new charters that opened in 2006. So it's a very similar process. If anything, it's more expedited. And I would say there's more open communication back and forth between the organizing group and the regulatory bodies. So I thought I put together what was the perfect application when I submitted it a year ago, March, and it definitely wasn't. So there was a lot of back and forth from the regulators, a lot of listening on our part. 
And I would describe it as a consultative approach that ultimately we ended up with a business plan they were more comfortable with and was going to be better for us in the long run. So it was really a win-win situation. Now, that's fascinating because there's that stereotype that regulators are sitting behind their desk pointing fingers and that de novo banks have to just sit and take direction. Really, you know, if you go back to the financial crisis, it was certainly tough on everybody, including the regulators. So there was a period of time when that wasn't the case, and they extended what's called the de novo period, where you really have to adhere to a business plan that you submit. They extended it from what was three years traditionally when we opened in 06 to seven years. So that was basically an indication to anybody that was out there interested in starting a bank that the regulators really didn't have much of an appetite. But in, I believe, 2016, they moved that back to three years. And ever since then, they've been trying to get the word out but it's coming out slowly. And I think part of it, they'll have to see examples like us and some of the other new banks and see how we do. But I know the head of the FDIC is very anxious to get the word out that they would like new banks open. We've gone from, as you probably know, roughly 10,000 banks 20 years ago to somewhere around 5,000 banks today. And I would say that the community banking model, certainly it was a good model 20 years ago was a good model. 10 years ago is a great model today. So I don't think the consolidation has necessarily been a real positive for the customers. And that's ultimately, obviously, who we're after. So the community bank model, which features knowing your customer and a high level of personal service, and now with the ability to leverage technology in there, which was a recent development for us. I think we have the best of both worlds of knowing our customers, but able to provide the technology that they need to make their banking experience as simple as possible. You've made that strategic decision to focus on urban and affluent business owners. What steps have you taken to get ready for this marketplace and succeed? In addition to taking on that approach of the community banking model and still you know, keeping that base and that focus, we're also taking a huge technology leap. When we started down this path looking at opportunities for our customer base to utilize technology, we really wanted to provide what that looks like. We know a lot of financial institutions are starting to come into technology opportunities that were never there before. And as we open, we're going to wholeheartedly take that approach. So we are one of very few financial institutions and obviously de novos in the U.S. that have gone into a completely cloud-native technology-based solution. We have leveraged an IT service provider out of Oklahoma. In addition to that, we have leveraged Fiserv as our core processor and have gravitated to technology opportunities that they are providing to us as well. When we look at what our customer base is looking for, we're providing complete mobile and computer opportunities for them, a full suite of e-commerce options, so that they can go completely paperless. If they choose, they don't ever have to step into our offices and they can do everything from the comfort of their home 100%. So that technology that we are really leveraging has a totally different look than it did before and probably than what other financial institutions are doing now. And then from an efficiency standpoint, which is obviously critical, that helps drive that efficiency for us, which historically, you know, had been a problem for community banks with a lot of branches, a lot of people. For example, Bank of Birmingham, when we opened in 2006, obviously not having a branch on every corner was a problem for us. And so the way around that at the time was we had a courier that used to drive all over southeastern Michigan, which is 
big area to cover to pick up deposits. The ability to now bank our customers through mobile deposit or remote deposit capture really has eliminated that need for having as many branches or to that extent, any branches other than we'll have one single branch and we will spend a lot of time going out to our customer. But for a customer to come to us, we'd love them to come in, but it isn't a necessity. Insofar as the industry evolution, you've traced part of that already. The mergers, the acquisitions, the shrinking of the market. What do you see as the future for community banking? It sounds like technology is part of the puzzle. Tell us more. And you really have to figure out, you know, who ultimately is your customer. And it is hard as a smaller bank. You've got a lot of competition there from obviously the large banks as well as the credit unions. But where we see the opportunity is unless you're in a more rural area where you can literally be all things to all people, you kind of have to figure out who your customer is. And for us, it's that business customer that needs things for his business individually that we can provide a single contact. So we really get to know that customer, but then through technology, allow them to access all that we have to offer. So when you stack up our model against a larger competitor, we think our story is a much more interesting one to a prospective customer. It's the story, the people, the technology, it all works to our favor. I think, you know, the holdup is that even though the financial crisis was over 10 years ago, hard to believe, there'll have to be some banks like us. And there are, I think there were 14 or 15 charters that were approved last year. So as we open and demonstrate that we are a viable business model, to both the customer and viable from a shareholder return, I think you will see bigger numbers. I would think we'll see a bit of a boom in new de novo banks over the next, I'd say, six years. Wow, that really bodes well. Sounds like you're entering the market at just the right time. Ten years ago, there were 23 what I would call community banks or banks with assets of a billion dollars or less in southeastern Michigan. When we open our doors in the next few weeks, we'll be the fifth bank with assets of a billion dollars or less. And a billion dollars is just a number. On the other hand, in terms of local ownership, local decision making, that's really the differentiator. So the short term vision for all of us is to break even in two to three years. And that's historically been the time it takes. But I would say the lesson learned from the first time around is that you need to have a longer term vision in terms of what it is you want to be beyond that three to five years. So we see an opportunity to continue to grow organically, as well as potentially acquire some other banks to get to a larger size. The challenge there, which would be a whole separate conversation, is how do you get big without turning into just another big bank? But that's our intent. We've got a great team of people. Detroit, as you may have heard nationally, has really made an amazing turnaround. It's not the Detroit from 20 years ago, which also works to our favor. There are all sorts of opportunities in your backyard that didn't exist a few years ago. That's got to be really exciting. Historically, Detroit was a bit like a donut where the downtown really had its issues. And there's obviously a long way to go, but there's been significant change. So really, southeastern Michigan, I think, is flourishing. We're in Oakland County, which is a northern county of southeastern Michigan. And Oakland County historically has been one of the wealthiest counties in the country. So we continue to be probably in the best place within southeastern Michigan with an improving economy in Michigan as a whole. 
And as that area continues to thrive, here's hoping that my bank thrives and that opening the doors is going to lead to great success. Rob and Aaron, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having us. Rob Farr is chairman and CEO of MyBank. Aaron Tecker is senior vice president, core technology at MyBank. You can look for Rob and Aaron on LinkedIn. And here are three key takeaways from today's podcast. Number one, in the de novo bank world, regulators are encouraging progress. There's been much misinformation, though, and things have improved since 2006 when 150 new charters were granted. Feedback from regulators has moved towards a consultative approach. A business plan, thorough and well thought out, is a must. But regulators are getting the word out that it's a good time to open a new bank. Number two, the competition in financial services to win small and medium-sized businesses is fierce. So get ready to take the technology leap that can be cloud native and involve finding a core services provider or other outsourced essentials. Build a full suite of e-commerce options to go paperless so business owners can operate from the comfort of home. This also drives efficiency, a key competitive factor for community banks. And number three. Opportunity for community banks means targeting very specific customers, knowing their needs, growing personal relationships, and offering first-class technology. Of course, you'll need to prove a viable enterprise for customers and investors, but note, it could take two to three years to break even. So have a longer-term vision to grow organically and acquire other banks as you go. The next generation of leaders are the fuel for the financial services industry's journey into the future. BAI Emerging Leaders Network creates exciting new learning, mentoring, networking, and visibility opportunities that foster career success. Applications are now open for the 2019 class of emerging leaders. Learn more at BAI.org. Welcome to Decision Time where our podcast guest walks us through a major decision they had to make, how they made it, and how it has impacted their career. What's it like to go from a larger enterprise to a smaller one? It can be a huge leap, especially when you're leaving one bank for another and for an encore, doing it again. Here, Rob Farr talks about what it was like to leave a regional bank, to start a community bank, and then begin that building process all over again. Listen. Jumping from a life with larger regional banks into the community banking pool was probably my biggest decision. I made that when I was in my mid-40s, and I quit my job with a large regional bank with the idea of starting a community bank, thinking that it would happen, and there wasn't any reason that it should have happened, but it did, which I'm very thankful for. So that was a huge decision. I'm so glad that I did it. And then as a follow-up, After selling Bank of Birmingham, I had the opportunity to stay on with the bank that acquired us, but making the decision then to leave and ultimately go through the process again and start another bank, which I never thought I'd have the opportunity to do one, let alone two. Those two decisions, as I look back at them, obviously changed my life, changed my family's life, and ultimately with the employees that have come on board, there's a trickle effect. So... It's very satisfying to step back and kind of look at 
those couple of decisions, which were intertwined, and how they played out in my career and my life. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast. We hope to have you back with us very soon. Be sure to check out our ever-growing archive of podcasts at BAI.org. Our producer, as always, is James Grady. Be sure to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Lou Carloso, the managing editor at BAI. We'll see you soon. So long.